Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Perkins Platform. This is a solutions-oriented podcast and live radio show. Each broadcast, we dedicate just about 30 minutes to explore topics of interest for leaders and professionals in education and a variety of other disciplines. And this is your host, Brian Perkins. Um, Welcome back, everyone. We are delighted that uh, you've joined us tonight. Uh, a little bit earlier than we normally do um, in recognition that a lot of people will be traveling on on Wednesday um, throughout the U.S. at least um, for holiday. Uh, And so this week's show uh, is broadcast on Monday. Um, And so we'll be back afterwards on the the, uh, 30th uh, for our next show um, at our regularly um, scheduled day, which is on a Wednesday. Um, so I'll be glad to uh, welcome you back at this at that time. Today, we have a great conversation planned, and I'm excited uh, that I'm able to talk to someone who is actually a an education consultant, and she specializes uh, in in-depth evidence-based education on historical and structural racism. And so um, variety of experiences, and expertise, written book chapters and articles um, on the topic. And so I'm uh, really excited uh, for this conversation. So I want to welcome uh, Io Magwood. Welcome, Io. Thank you so much. And I want to point well, out that uh, you didn't mention one of another one of uh, my things on my resume, which is that I taught. I was a high school teacher for uh, a long time. And so all of the methods, because I also, in addition to teaching the content, I also teach teachers how to teach about it and about historical and structural racism. And that's based not just on the research, um, but also on my personal experiences in the classroom. Awesome. 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 Yes. And actually, we're going to get, I appreciate you throwing that in now because I did plan to get to that um, because I, you know, I am, uh, I have a number of people who are, in the education field that are listening in and are really looking um, forward to hearing more about what you've done. Um, and and to, today's show is about teaching about racism in schools and actually how to structure, um, maybe there's some things that people can learn from what you've done. And certainly these are, you know, they're different contexts, different places, um, but but that's the reason we have a variety of people that come on the show, and so um, would love to hear you talk about um, your personal success as a teacher and a trainer of teachers um, to facilitate uh, student discourse in this area. So with that said, so let let's go back because I want to hear uh, start out. Tell me a little bit about yourself and how that history of being a teacher, but how we got to where we are today with the great work that you're doing with uprooting and equity. Sure. So um, I'm sort of a, on the personal side, I'm sort of a border, a, a cultural border crosser. So I'm half black, half white, and I'm 55 years old. So that means that um, when my parents got married, they, that was not a thing. In fact, my parents mm-hmm. got married a couple of years before Loving v. Virginia. So you can imagine mm-hmm. the, yes, the pushback yes. that got. 
Um, and then also they immediately went to uh, move to Dar Salaam, Tanzania. So, and then from there to Liberia, to Saudi Arabia. Um, so, and I lived in Mexico myself. So um, I'm constantly crossing borders and I'm constantly being that bridge and I'm constantly adapting and trying to understand the perspectives of others and then teach them to others. So I have that personal background. And then the other thing is when I started teaching U.S. history in high school, then um, I noticed that the curriculum, you know, the, it's, it's the typical curriculum, right? You go from slavery to Jim, Jim Crow, Reconstruction, skip to um, the, the Civil Rights Movement, and then uh, after a while you mention Obama. And so there's a lot in there that, that's missing. And unfortunately, it's the part that helps us understand racial disparities today is, uh, for example, housing discrimination, educational discrimination between the 1930s and the present. And I myself didn't know too much about it. So I spent many, many evenings, weekends, uh, spring break, Christmas break, uh, fall break, uh, you know, any kind of break, summer, um, teaching myself about it and then figuring out how to teach it to my students. And, uh, you know, it took a while. So what I would do is every time I tried something new, I would do a anonymous survey through SurveyMonkey and then study the results and then tweak it and then reteach it and then tweak it again and, and then go back and look at the research and try it again. And, you know, and sometimes I messed up, right? Sometimes I remember once, uh, you know, the whole class got pretty quiet and usually it's a very mm -hmm. talkative class. I was like, oops, <laughs> go back mm -hmm. to the drawing mm -hmm. board. I came back in the next day and I was like, okay, I messed up. Let's start over. Let's restart and then uh, did something else, and then it was it worked out. So I've been slowly teaching more and more, and then the, the 2016 election came up, and I found that my students wanted to participate in the conversations but uh, were unable to because they didn't have the background knowledge. So I went to, my, to the head of the department and said, look, what I want to do is have a quote-unquote uh, you know, election unit, but I don't want to talk about either the candidates at all. What mm -hmm, I want to do mm -hmm. is I want to go back and teach them, because it's a U.S. history class. I want to yeah. teach them the history to understand the issues that not just the different candidates, but the whole, we're having a national conversation, right? We're having mm -hmm. a, that's what the elections are. It's a national discussion about different sorts of issues. And I wanted to teach them the history behind that so they could participate in those discussions, like in a non-partisan uh, you know, non non, uh, way. And so I picked out especially three issues that seemed to be big at that time, political polarization, um, economic uh, inequality, and racial inequality. And then, and then I also asked my, the head of the department, not only uh, I want to re, so I'm, I said that I'm going to have a lot of the 1950s to the present stuff, but I want to reorder it, reorganize it so that mm. I can draw through lines to those three issues. And I said, also, I want to teach it at the beginning of the year. Because, you know, that's when we're having that national discussion. And then afterwards, I'll scroll back to the beginning. Um, and uh, I almost fainted because he said, sure. <laughs> After he saw yeah. it, he's like, I love it. Um, and, and then I did it, and it, and it had a side effect, which we didn't expect. The kids got so, so much more uh, in, interested in history, and, and it lasted throughout the year. Um, I had I had emails from parents and saying, "What did you do to my kid? My kid used to hate history. Now he wants to get so excited, comes home and, sure. and 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 wants to teach me about it." And then at the end of the unit, we had a parent-student discussion um, in, uh, evening where I invited the parents and grandparents and everybody, and we had like about 15, 20 parents and kids in each classroom. 
and we and you know the the questions were discussion questions again i i stayed away from the partisan stuff i stayed away from the candidates but we discussed issues of importance to future citizens of america right and the kids mm -hmm. just loved it and so every year <laughs> so yeah, that's how i yeah. started and then later on now i teach you know teachers how to do that well, you know, I, I want to ask you a question, you know, because it sounds like when you were a teacher, um, you know, people people gave you a great deal of flexibility and trusted you um, uh, to do kind of the right thing in a in a responsible way. How important was that? Uh, very important. I mean, I had already established myself at the school. So, um, and also, you know, I showed the, the, the head of the department how I was going to do it. So, um, several things. So, one, it was data-oriented, um, very, and then it was inquiry-based, uh, extremely rigorous, and uh, in, uh, we focused on structural racism instead of bias. Uh, so, we didn't really talk about privilege and bias, but we were, we were, it was very like, this is, you know, this is history, this is the data. Um, I have a background, I have a master's in economics, so we looked at a lot of data, and that was great, too, because I was teaching the students how to read data, how to assess it. Okay, we need to look at the source, you know, things like that, basic, so they can um, so they can identify reliable sources. Um, so we looked at the data. I, like, I never walked in the classroom and said, structural racism exists. You know, I was like, let's, you know, everything, let's look at the data, let's look at the sources, very evidence-based. Um, and then also another thing that I did was, versus policy issues about racism. So uh -huh. empirical questions are questions that are evidence-based that you can, you know, look at the data and, and most uh, science, social scientists will say, yep, you know, this is the case. Um, that's a settled empirical question where the, the vast majority of the experts in the field, vast majority of the studies, the research studies have a conclusion, for example, with structural racism. Uh, which is uh, the but on the other hand there's policy questions and those are just opinion questions like uh, uh, um, for example you know should we do affirmative action that's a policy question that's an opinion question there's no right or wrong and so we 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 distinguish between them so uh, does structural racism exist what about racial um, for instance uh, racial disparities that's a data question versus you know affirmative action or reparations that is a policy issues and we're all going to discuss that um you know civilly with uh you know no yelling and screaming with respect on both sides right. etc so that right. helps a lot and then the last piece that i put in was what i call perspectives consciousness because basically like i told you that background that i had right so i yeah. was you know that's how i you know that's how i to survive i had to do that is constantly looking at other people's perspectives um and the way they experienced tried to figure out how could i teach this to the kids <laughs> and i finally figured out how so i basically simulated the blind man and the elephant allegory in um in class i found this old bear in the in the art room and uh i i blindfolded three volunteers brought out the the elephant i'm sorry the the bear and then put one part of the bear in each of their hands and asked them to describe the shape of course you know they had they had very different opinions. Um, then I uh, showed them the bear and then and told them about the allegory. And then I gave them maps of um, racial segregation in the, United, in the Washington, D.C. area, economic or income segregation, 
and also political segregation. And mm -hmm. I asked them, what does this have to do with the, the beer or the elephant? And it took them a while, but, uh, and I always used to do this the very same first day of class. It, um, after a while, somebody would say, oh, my God, not only are we touching different sides of the elephant, but we're living in different sides of the uh -huh. elephant. Uh -huh. The United States is extremely segregated. Um, you know, we say that the Civil Rights Act ended uh, segregation, but we are extremely segregated. In fact, economists call it hyper-segregation. Yes. So we have different lived experiences with racism, different lived experiences with schools, different lived experiences with police, et cetera, et cetera, picture of the elephant on the wall. And throughout the year, they would refer to it. Like if one kid was, you know, um, universalizing their own personal experience, then another kid would say, oh, remember the bear? And they would always get mixed up into the elephant. They would call it mm -hmm, the bear. Mm -hmm, and then mm -hmm. that reminded them, because what the elephant represented is that people have different uh, lived experiences with empirical issues, and they have different perspectives on policy issues. Right, right. Because so it, it really just depends on where they are, right? It just depends on where they are in the, in the equation. And I have kids, I had a kid who wrote me from college and told me, thank you, that, you know, that idea, I, I, I use that, you know, continually and it helps me get through. Because, of course, in college, you're going to experience even more perspectives and different lived experiences. Excellent. And so, um, I mean, I think it's a, it's a very um, good strategy in terms of, you know, staying away uh, from just, you know, kind of jumping to conclusions of of what the policies are, um, but letting you know, letting students um, investigate and and understand. Um, now, so are there are there particular things that you do to help prepare them to understand? You know, so I'm, I, what I'm thinking about is. You know, when we're talking about students, regardless, we're generally talking about people under 18 years old. And so in this case, um, where you're talking about high students, the majority of them will be under 18. And so there are some that will have more lived experiences than others, more experience with one thing or another, some that have traveled. I mean, you told me that you've, you were fortunate enough to travel um, a bit um, as an uh, adolescent and a young adult. Um, and so, um, how do you how do you prime them to be able to hear the information and then adequately analyze it and reach reasonable conclusions for children? Because I think that's the whole well, purpose, right? Yep. Uh, so on one hand, like I said, I'm teaching them. Uh, you know, as an economist, I'm teaching them how to evaluate data, you know, not just to read the charts, but also to evaluate the sources uh -huh. and, you know, mm -hmm. look look at, um, you know, the X and Y axis and what it's, the units and stuff like that. Um, for another, you know, there's that uh, elephant, right, that whole, and the other kids will keep each other on, um, you know, to, true to that. And then I also model for my with myself, I say, look, I'm back then I was 40 something and, uh, you know, black, female, biracial, et cetera, but I'm constantly making mistakes. And, you know, it's just like, you're, you're just going to make, you're going to make a mistake. You just have to pick yourself up, you know, dust yourself off and keep on going. And I actually shared a, an actual example of uh, fairly recently I had, you know, messed up. 
And I said, well, I, you know, just brush myself up and keep on going. I'm constantly learning, you know, and I constantly push myself to learn. I don't just sit there. I, you know, I'm proactive about learning about different perspectives. And I said, I'm, you know, that's the price I will, you know, gladly pay to live in such a diverse community. I shared with them I used to live in another country. I won't name it. But it was, I found it extremely boring because it was, you know, everybody was the same culture. And I said, I was so glad when I came back. And I was like, I will, you know, I will double down my efforts to understand different perspectives, uh, you know, to even if it means making a mistake sometimes, you know, get back up. And then mm-hmm. another thing that I did is I would say to the kids, you can go ahead and ask questions. I said, I have my teacher hat on in here. I said, you know, if we were on Facebook or in a other discussion, something you say, you know, might offend me or others. I said, but in here, I'm in my te- I have my teacher hat on. You're welcome to, you know, unless you say something, you know, blatantly offensive, you can go ahead and ask all your embarrassing questions here, to me at least, not to the mm-hmm. other students, mm-hmm. because, mm-hmm. This is, you know, you mess up here and learn here so that you can go out there and not offend somebody. So it seemed to work. And like I said, I was constantly using um, the, um, the, the anonymous feedback uh, to keep me in check, too, because, of course, some people are not going to share. So, for example, I was in, the, in the, um, the Google monkey, I would uh, distinguish, I could break down the data by um, political ideology and also race. Uh, mm. So I would ask them, it was anonymous, but I'd say ask them to identify their ideology, their political leanings, and also their race. And then I could, I didn't know the names, but I could break down the data accordingly. And that would, I would make sure that I was meeting everyone's needs and not alienating anyone. But the, the, um, the empirical versus policy thing seemed to set up sort of guardrails and a certain comfort in the classroom. Because, you know, no one was going to call someone else racist because, you know, most racist comments are going to enter in the classroom where you deny that structural racism exists and then you blame racial disparities on, you know, black inferiority or black lack of trying. So mm-hmm. once the kids had looked at the data and, you know, saw very different access to opportunity, right, we have this myth that everybody has the same access to opportunity, when you look at funding, for example, school funding by race, you know, did you know that uh, poor, uh, poor white district, school districts have more funding uh, per capita on average than, than, well, than non-poor uh, black uh, dis- school districts, for example? So they looked at access to opportunity and could see that there was huge disparities, not just in outcomes, but in access to opportunity. Um, <laughs> but I've forgotten what my, what my point was, but so, but I could look at and make sure, oh, that's right, that, that the guardrails. So by, after they looked at the data, there wasn't going to be anybody that says, you know, oh, the disparities are due to, you know, black inferiority. And then on the other hand, because of that, the empirical versus policy thing, then and any conservative student or anybody could say, well, I disagree with affirmative action. I agree that there's disparities, but I would prefer, I don't know, um, you know, that it be dressed by, uh, you know, uh, making sure you have equal access to opportunity, and that's fine, right? So mm-hmm. there was a that, – that, that, those guardrails set up a certain comfort um, in the classroom. Yes, yes, yes. and, and I, I, I certainly understand that. I, I just wonder um, – so as you talk about, you know, the students being able, and they would, um, from from your experience, be able to – um, look at the data, 
um, you know, there are some who might still um, be uncomfortable with that. And, I, you know, a lot of the current argument right now um, is that uh, in, in a number of places is that, you know, it's not right to make children feel uncomfortable about something they didn't have anything to do with. So whether we're talking about, um, you know, segregation, forced segregation, and, and you know, uh, unable to go to school with people um, of different races, what have you, um, those were all things that made some some children feel uncomfortable. And so, therefore, um, policymakers and others said, we don't want that. We don't want that to happen, and so you can't teach that. Um, my question is more, and I, not so much what do you do, but is there any reasonable, from your perspective, any reasonable way to address that? And, you know, I, I just think about it. I want to tell sure. you a, a quick little story and I don't know if I've said it here or not before, but um, most everyone who's listened for any amount of time to this podcast, I've said probably 30 dozen times, I'm from Alabama and born and raised in a place that was, uh, um, you know, had its its history with segregation and, and racism. Um, but um, one of the things that happened um, long after I was an adult, actually in the 2000s, early 2000s, um, I was um, um, talking to my father, and he, he told me that um, he needed to give uh, my address to – he had received something from an insurance company, and they wanted my address. And it was because I was the beneficiary on a, on a policy. Um, he didn't know what it was about, but it was it, what it was was that I was the beneficiary on a policy – that he had taken out on me when I, you know, shortly after I was born, it was a thing that, that, you know, parents did back then. It was like, oh, they pay every week. And then at some point, you know, they don't have to pay anymore. And then there's insurance policy paid up. Well, um, come to find out that um, I got a check in the mail and it was part of a class action lawsuit that was life of Georgia. You may be familiar with this. And Life of Georgia, apparently, from the 1950s forward, had been charging black families more money for these policies than they were for white families in the same area code so or zip code. And so, so they reached an agreement to pay back a portion of that money. And, I mean, you know, there's a lot that I have to say about it, but... My question is, so, um, you know, okay, how, how, you, to address that? how do you well, address, I, I did, yeah. Yep. So, you know, the, the, the phrase, none of us is to blame for the past, but we're collectively responsible for the future. So I yes. did a kid version of that. So I would mm-hmm. say, I would tease them all the time. And I would say, look, us adults, I was very intentional in that. Us adults have made some mistakes, and we, there's things that we could have done better and put us into this mess. Talk, remember about the three things, political polarization, income yep. inequality, and racial inequality. I was mm-hmm. like, you know, that was my generation, the generation before that. I said, but we are counting on you because as young people, to fix these problems, that's why you're learning about this. You're learning about this so that you can know how to do the the data research and how to mm-hmm. talk to each other across the different parts of the elephant 
um, in order to move it forward because we're all on that same collective uh, elephant. The only way we're going to make it, help it move forward is if you talk to each other. And I said, so don't let me down. You are the future of the United States. When I'm in my old age home, in my retirement home, don't let me hear that you just let things continue the way they are. I want to hear that you guys use this knowledge and the ability to talk to each other to move the elephant forward and make things better, even better. So I would mm-hmm. I constantly bring that up as, you know, but it's that basic message that none of us is to blame for the past, but we're collectively sure. responsible for the sure. future. Again, no, I made it like a, a mission. This is your mission yeah. should you yeah. choose to, to accept it. Mm-hmm. So it's mm-hmm. very inspiring. This one sounds yeah. very inspiring. Yeah, no, I can see, I definitely could see why, and see, that's that's part of why, you know, I think it's important for, and I'm sure a number of teachers uh, listening in will probably incorporate that language into what they're doing. I think it, it certainly sounds like uh, it would be effective in in motivating students to hear and and really not shut down out of being blamed for it, but actually being asked to be part of the solution sounds like a wonderful approach. I mean, I can't, it it worked for me and I shared it with other teachers and it seems to be working for them as well. So I've had Mm -hmm. a lot of um, uh, requests for that blind man and the elephant uh, um, lesson plan, because that's how you really set it off. That sets the Mm -hmm. stage for it. And like I said, I do it every single year, the first day. And then I build on it by, with all these things. It's a very solution-oriented, a very hopeful message. Sure, sure. So tell me, I know we're, see, we're almost out of time, but I would love to hear, tell me a little bit about what does it look like when you're doing this training of teachers? Is it, do you normally do like a one day um, seminar? Or is it like, is, is it a, a module based seminar? Because um, I'm sure there are going to be some people who want to uh, reach out to you about this. So usually I do sort of like a one-day thing, um, six hours. I can all, sometimes I split it between two different days. And I am working on doing an, an online version um, with the different uh, units. Um, mm-hmm. But I also teach about, besides teaching about historical and structural racism, I also have um, a seminar and a lesson on remediating structural racism because that's why we're learning about that history and the structural racism so we can figure out solutions, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then so I can also teach how to teach about that. And I also have a, a first unit, which I think is very important, about how race was constructed. A lot of people don't know that uh, racism didn't always exist. There, in mm-hmm. the early colonial period, um, it was a class-based society. So within the class, there was a lot of black and white people having babies together, getting married, uh, socializing together, doing business together, partying together. Uh, running away together, and, and um, so but always within the same class. So I show the kids um, uh, primary sources from that early period and show how the laws that we use to construct racism. Because I think that's important because it shows us that it's not racism is not inevitable, right? It didn't always exist. We constructed it with laws, and so that gives people hope that we can deconstruct it, right? Yes. Yeah. But so that's. Uh, so sometimes schools bring me in uh, or sometimes uh, school associations bring me in to do the training. Oh, and lastly is um, it takes forever to get all these sources, the primary sources to get the data, the graphs, et cetera. So as part of the training, the teachers get 
the all of my slide decks with all so then they and that they can sort of mix and match with their own um excellent excellent well we have um we do have a caller um that has dialed in i'd like to take a call if you're open to that um who has um called in from 504 area code um caller from louisiana can you uh please give us your name and uh and state your question Greetings. I go by the name of Brother Warren. I'm calling here from New Orleans, and I was just uh, listening to the uh, the conversation. And one of the things I want to contribute is uh, I'm I'm retired, and uh, I have some grandchildren. Uh, but one of the things we had a family reunion here in New Orleans this past summer. Relatives came from all over the country, and what was beautiful at the reunion banquet is many of the elder elders in the family began to talk about their experiences through segregation and the struggles black people have gone through. So my point is that I'm at the point now that African-American people should take the charge and the lead to educate their own young people about their story and not be so dependent on the institution. We see that as political climates, have these ebbs and flows, and we're in the part now where there's a rising fascism taking place and the backlash against these unpleasant truths in American history. I think that we, African-American people, parents, family members, must stand up and take charge in the lives of their young people to teach them their history. So what I told my children to tell their children which I've told my grandchildren, is that when you go to school, go to school and get the A or B in white man's history. But when you come back to the family, you're getting the real history. And I think that if there's a movement among African Americans where young people eagerly run to school and say, yeah, what you got in white man's history? Oh, daddy told me to get an A, or I got a B. Because when we get home or go back to the church or go to the community center, Going to the neighborhood, we learn in the real history. And watch just how angry these other people become when we take charge of our story. But I think the time is up where we are constantly struggling with these institutions to see our humanity, to listen to our story. I think the empirical data shows at the end of the day, it means nothing. They're going to do what they want to do and particularly if it involves their future young people in competition with children of color, they're going to make sure that their children always have the advantage and stand tall above the narrative they're going to put in the responsibility of their children to take control of. And I, I just think okay. we need to take charge of our own, our own families and children. Thank you. Thank you for your comment. Um, any, any response? There is. That there's definitely a problem with this history not being taught in um, in our classrooms, and part of it is because the teachers themselves are not taught this. It's um, the you know all the in in the in the the, the teachers' colleges, um, yeah. and that is one one of the that's one of the reasons why schools like parent associations and also African um, associations of African American parents will hire me to you know to present to their students uh, to their kids so that they are learning this history. But I'm also pushing for, you know, schools to, to incorporate this history because the 
no reason why not to. If it's taught, mm-hmm. you know, properly, you can do so in a non-divisive way, in a in a way that's welcoming everybody. So, so on one hand, yes, a lot of my work is 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 on the side to supplement the the what's not being taught in schools. But I also have hope, and I'm trying to teach teachers so that it can be uh, taught in in the classroom. Um, mm-hmm. In fact, uh, the there's something called the, some scholars have come up with the term the Marley hypothesis. You know, after the, the Bob Marley song, Buffalo Soldier, if you know your history, then you'll know where you're coming from. Um, mm-hmm. So their theory can be summed up by people from dominant racial groups perceive less um, racism in mainstream society than do people from subordinate racial groups, in part because they tend to be insufficiently familiar with the extent of U.S. history of racism and its enduring impact on the present. Mm-hmm. As the gentleman pointed out, um, African-American families are more, much more likely to teach this history uh, to their young people, but it needs to sure. be taught um, to everybody because we're all Americans, and we're, we, you know, the African Americans on their own can't, you know, change things. We all have to work together um, That's right. to improve things or, or to further improve things. Like I think about um, President Obama's uh, 2013 inaugural speech uh, when he talks about what makes us exceptional, what makes us American, is our allegiance to an idea. You know, we hold these truths to be self-evident: all men are created equal. Today we continue a never sorry for reading. To get, today we continue a never ending journey to bridge the meaning of those words with the realities of our time. We the people declare today that it is the star that guides us all. It is now our generation's task to carry on what those pioneers began. And maybe I'm too optimistic. Uh, maybe I have rose colored glasses, but I, I'm at least in the you know trying to trying to work on that. No, I I, I appreciate that. And I think, um, you know, the big message for me here is that there is a way to teach it. And it's not, you know, whitewashing. It's not, you know, uh, um, not telling the truth. Um, I think your strategies that you've, you've talked about are just ways that um, continue to be able to, you say, this is evidence. This is fact um, that these things have occurred and and without without uh, blaming you know the students, um, and they they need to hear about it and know about it. Um, I've also heard that if you don't know the past, you're you know kind of destined to repeat it. Um, and so I think it's critically important that we let all young people know of how the past has been um, has been. an amazing experiment, um, particularly in this country, and we have much farther to go. Um, We have things that we have to correct. And, um, you know, with them as as being well-equipped and even better equipped, I think in some cases – we'll we can we can uh, look for a better future um i as i can i say one last thing before we go Uh Uh so the the argument is always oh we shouldn't tell students about this and i always uh i always counter they already know you know from two years old kids you know kids can tell a difference and so the problem is that the you know every child from very very young uh can see the racial disparities in outcomes and they can mm-hmm. also see the racial disparities in how people of different races are treated. No matter yes. how much everybody wants to ignore them, oh, you know, right. any kid by, you know, six, seven years old has noticed that. 
So the problem is if you don't teach about those structural challenges and about the racism, then students will come to the conclusion that uh, black people have lower social status and they have those disparities in outcomes are because, you know, they don't work hard enough or they're less competent. So that is a big reason why we need to teach about it because, it, you know, not teaching is, is, is very problematic because kids will come to their own conclusion about Absolutely. what they see. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. And so um, can you tell us how, because uh, I'm, I'm sure there are people out there that will want to contact you, give us any Twitter handles or uh, social media uh, ways that they might follow you or email address, anything you'd like to share so that people can um, reach you and get in touch with you. Sure, but I think the fastest way is my uh, website because it has all that other information on it. It's uprooting inequity. Um, that it's uprooting the reason why it's very intentional is it's, we want to go to those root causes. Instead of just treating the symptoms, we want to go to those root historical causes. Uh, and it's inequity, not inequality. So uprootinginequity.com, and you'll find all my other information there. Awesome. Thank you so much. And thank you for joining me for this conversation. Um, I'm sure that um, just as much as I did, people listening in uh, benefit a great deal. Uh, wishing you best in the work that you're doing. And um, we'll be listening and, and following uh, the work also, um, but cheering you on here. Um, until we get a chance to talk again, go well, stay well. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. Mm-hmm.